Um, I want to thank you all for coming out to hear the word this morning. I know that there are a lot of things that you can be doing this morning, but instead you came out and you chose to hear the word of God. You know, I never, I never know who is listening to this podcast for the first time. So, before I get started, every time I speak, I always find it very important to say how how important it is to to know the word of God. All right? It's so important to know the word of God and to study the word of God. So, you know, for many who may say, oh, you say that every single episode, you know, I, I, I get it. You know, I know that by now you say it all the time. Well, that's because it's very important that I push, I push it and that I push that. All right. What I'm saying, because. It is. It's extremely important that we study the word of God. All right. Yes, I know many people, they read their Bible. All right. They they read the word of God. OK, still. Reading the word and studying the word is two different things. OK. Anyone can read a book, okay? But if you don't understand what you are reading, then everything that you've just read was pointless because you have no idea what you just read. I'll give you an example, all right? going to take it back, all right, long time ago. I remember when I was in high school, all right, everyone had to take um, the SATs or uh, what they call in public school, the FCAT test, okay? And part of the... SATs or the FCAT, whatever, was reading. Now, they divided it into two sections, reading and reading comprehension. Now, at the time, all right, I passed reading. I had no problem reading, okay? I, I was good. All right, it, I, I pass it with flying colors, okay? But then I had to do the reading comprehension part 
where I had to answer the questions, okay, what, what does it mean what I just read? And at the time, I failed that miserably. Okay? So, yes, I was, I was great at reading. I could read anything. But if I didn't comprehend what I was reading, then it was pointless. Okay? So, it's so important that we study our Bible because the Bible is truth. Alright? It is the only thing in this world, it is the only physical thing in this world that is 100% truth. It is the only teaching in this world that is 100% truth. Okay. You know, we live in a world full of deception, full of lies. All right. We don't even know what news channel we can trust, what newspaper we can trust. All right. People, they go on social media and they lie about all sorts of things. And the world is just full of deceptions. And it's hard sometimes to know what the difference is between the truth and the lie. Because sometimes, all right, Satan is... so good at making up lies and deceptions that it can seem like the truth all right i've been a christian for i'll say a long time now i have rededicated my life to the lord a while back um i'll say about um 10 years now, okay, 33 years old, 10 years of rededicating my life to the Lord, that seems like a long time, but Satan, he has been deceiving people, that is his specialty, he has been doing that since before the earth was formed, all right? That's why we need to study our Bibles. We need to know the truth. Okay. Not only that, but it helps us develop a closer relationship with the Lord. All right. Helps us develop a closer relationship with God. Okay, and there are plenty of books out there to help us grow in the faith and to help us study the word. All right. And there are and they are credible books. They are reputable books. Okay. And they do help a lot of people. But you have to understand nothing can ever replace the Bible. Okay. Nothing can ever replace the Bible. 
because you have to understand that although we do preach the word of God, okay, we are still human and um, sometimes it may be unintentional, but we may accidentally um, say the wrong thing. The wrong thing might slip out of our mouths when we are um, speaking the word of God, teaching the word of God, preaching the word of God. Okay, we may accidentally say the wrong things. We don't mean to, but we may accidentally say the wrong things. Okay, we do make mistakes. And if you're not if you're not studying your Bible and you're just listening to us and you and you just accept what we are saying and you don't read the Bible, then you can take in that mistake And because you don't know your Bible, then guess what? You are now misled, okay? Um, you have a chance to correct whoever made that mistake, all right? So it's not just one person that's affected, okay? I mean, I'm not saying that I don't want you to listen to us. I'm not um, those who rather I should say I'm not saying that I don't want you to listen or trust those who are speaking the word of God. OK, I'm not saying that at all. OK. Still, you need to read your you need to read your Bible. You need to study your Bible because nothing can ever replace the word of God. It is the only thing that is 100 percent true. That is mistake free. Okay, and you can never go wrong with it. All right. Now I can, I can speak on this, um, forever, all day. All right. <laughs> it seems like I'm about to, but that's not what I really want to talk about today. All right. The topic I want to talk about today. Is that God uses even those who do not know him. That's the that's the title of um of the subject of today's episode or today's teaching. God uses even those who do not know him. Well, what do I mean by that? I'm going to get well, I'm going to give you two examples. All right. Of what I mean by that. And I'm going to focus more on one of the examples that I'm going to give you. But I want to give you two examples. OK. But before. I get into it. I want to read from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 28. Book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, 
to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay. That is a very famous verse amongst Christians. All right. So famous that it may often be overused. And what do I mean by overused? People, they just, it's as, it's as though a lot of people, they forget the meaning. They just know when to say it. But they don't really pay attention to its meaning. All right. What is that? What does that verse mean? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Well, this is often the case with our leaders, our meaning. Every leader all over the world, OK. All right. Say, for instance, um, you have one. You had this one person serves the Lord, true believer in Christ Jesus, true servant of God. And for such a long time, it just seems as though that person just can't seem to get a break. Just constantly, constantly going through trials and tribulations. And it seems as though all the time this person is just constantly saying, why, God? Why, God? Why me, God? Why this, God? Why is this happening to me, God? And it's kind of understandable. All right. It's a natural reaction, us being human. All right. That. Although we do serve the Lord, although we do believe in Christ Jesus, okay, nobody wants bad things to happen to them, especially when it's just repetitive over and over and over again, okay? Now, because we believe in Christ Jesus, we know that God is constantly looking over us, watching over us, looking after us, okay? And after a while, it just gets so frustrating that we may ask, we might, we may go through a moment, okay, because although I said this is natural, I'm not saying that it's right, I'm not saying that it's good, I'm not saying that we should um, start questioning God because we shouldn't. I'm just saying that it is natural because we are human. Okay. Still, a lot of times these people that are going through these trials and tribulations, they don't realize that all these things that they are going through, God will eventually turn it around for good. God has a purpose for that one person. Who is serving him. All right. All, all of that. That you are doing by serving God. That doesn't go unnoticed. 
God sees how you are serving him. And that throughout all of these trials and tribulations, you are remaining steadfast to the Lord. Now, you think that the Lord would not let anything beneficial come from a servant of the Lord as strong as this person? No, eventually all of those trials and tribulations, God will turn it around for good. And something good will come out of it. Okay? And those negative things, those trials and tribulations, God will use those negative things, all right? And he will organize them in such a way, okay? And he will plan them in such a way that the end result will be beneficial to God's people, okay? Just like it's just as though any other plan, it takes time. This is often the case with leaders. Okay? Because there are many leaders, and I'm sure that most of us will already, already know, all right? We don't have to read statistics to find this out, all right? There are more leaders that do not believe in God than there are leaders that do believe in God. All right. I'm not saying that there are that there are no believers. I mean that there are no leaders that believe in God. I'm just saying that there are a lot more leaders out there and a lot more people in high positions out there that do not believe in God. We don't have to look at statistics, okay, to see that. However, just because they do not believe in God, just because they do not plan on following God's word, okay, just because the people they surround themselves with try to have a negative influence on them, that does not mean that God will not use that person to do his will, all right? A lot of time that person won't even realize that they are doing the will of God. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 1. Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. 
you know, I said I'd give two examples, but here's another one. All right. I'm going to use this example because this is one that I know. Okay. You have a man like President Joe Biden get into office. Okay. And I did not want to be political, but this just came to me, and this is a very good example. All right. Take a man that came into office, President Joe Biden. One of the most liberal presidents that we have ever had in the history of America. All right. Now, whether you are for him or against him, fact of the matter is, he does not believe in he does not believe in God. He is against God. All right. We as Christians, we see that. He surrounds himself around people who are godless. All right. And yet many people, they, you know, um, they may say, how can God put someone like Joe Biden in office someone who is is so anti-christ how can somebody put him in office and people they they just say oh it's it's the last days we're living in the last days we're living in the end times you know we have a guy like joe biden you know in 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 office and this and that they fail to realize that God is using him perfect example after 50 years after 50 years of Roe versus Wade God uses Joe Biden, Joe Biden of all people, President Biden. The president that so many um, Christians are against, all right? The, the president who is for so many things that are just wicked in this country, God uses him of all people to overturn Roe versus Wade. All right. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of the water, he turns it wherever he wishes. See, see Joe Biden, President Biden. He can do his best. Best. He could do his best with every intention 
to go against God. All right. If he knows that God wants him to do one thing, if he knows that God would do something, he can deliberately do the other. All right. He can want to do things his own way. All right. And a lot of times he does. But like the rivers of water, God will use that president according to his will. All right. That's just an example that I wanted to give. But this is the two people who I really want to talk about. All right. First one being King Saul. God uses King Saul in a mighty way. All right. You see, Israel... Okay, it's not fully established yet. Okay, it's not a true nation yet. It's not a it's not a real country yet. Okay, it's not recognized by all these other nations yet. Okay, all these other nations they all have kings. Israel, they don't have a king. Okay. Now, after a series of arguments, God finally appoints a king. All right. King Saul. Now, after you would all right, now you would expect this. A country like Israel all right, very important place like Israel, okay, it's not a country yet, but a very important place like Israel, okay, it's about to become an, it's about to become a country, it's, it's about to establish itself as a nation. Now, this is something that you would want to do right. This is something that you would want to get right. You would want to appoint the right king, a righteous king. One that is going to lead the people, that's going to lead the nation. All right. One who is going to be a king of the people. going to be humble, going to be merciful, but fair. And yet out of all the people, who does God appoint? Saul. King Saul. I mean, yeah, he started out as a good guy. But it was not long before he started becoming arrogant. 
jealous, um, misusing his power, misusing his authority. This is not the king that a country should have, especially one as, as important as Israel, who is trying to establish itself for the first time. However, you have to look at the big picture. All right. See, it wasn't just about King Saul. It wasn't just about the reign of King Saul. It wasn't just about that era. Okay. God was setting up Israel's future. And he was using King Saul to do that. King Saul ended up meeting David. See, <clears throat> it's disputed how King Saul and David met. Some say that Saul met David um, while on the battlefield. I'm sure many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath. A lot of people say that um, that's where um, King Saul and David had met for the first time, all right? Um, as it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 28 through 33, others say that they met when King David would play music for him in his... in um, his courtyard when Saul had a um, very distressing spirit. He, um, his servant had said, look, I know this one guy. All right. In so many words, he said, look, I know this one guy. Um, and he brought David before Saul and David, he started um, playing music for Saul and that's how they became, that's how they became friends. All right. So it's often disputed how King Saul and David had met. Either way, either way, had Saul not met David, David would not have become king, therefore setting up the lineage centuries later for the king of the Jews, who we know as Jesus Christ. All right. So you see, even though that King Saul 
was did end up becoming a bad king, all right? He was very arrogant and very spiteful toward David, all right? In his in his latter years, there were even times when um he he just became mad with rage, all right? And in an, in a nutshell was just mentally unstable at times. Okay. Still, God used King Saul because it wasn't about King Saul. It wasn't about King Saul's reign. He was setting up Israel's future. He was using King Saul to set up Israel's future. <clears throat> Another example I want to give. All right. King Cyrus. Another king whom God used in the Bible. You know, um, many pastors and many teachers, when they talk about this subject, how God uses um, people in higher authorities, in high authorities or in higher positions to his will, to do his will, they often refer to King Cyrus. And I'm going to explain why for those who do not know. See, King Cyrus, he was an idol worshiping king. He was a pagan king. He did not worship the one true God. All right. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 45. All right. Verses 1 through 6. King Cyrus was the idol worshiping king. Okay. Wasn't a bad king. Um, in the sense that he didn't do a good job during his reign. He just, he was just a faithless king. Okay. God knew that. All right. Now, Isaiah chapter 45, 1 through 6, is a perfect example of how God uses unbelievers, even wicked people in high authority, to carry out his will. 
All right. Isaiah chapter 45, one through six. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the, the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may not that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I want you to look at verse one again. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. To Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. See, God is saying right there how he has guided King Cyrus. Even though King Cyrus was a faithless man, even though he didn't follow God, without him knowing, God had led King Cyrus to do his will. How? What did King Cyrus do? I'm going to get to that in a moment. All right. Go with me back one chapter, Isaiah chapter 44, verses 26 through, 20, through 28. And I particularly want you to look at verse 28. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 26 through 28. Who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited to the cities of Judah. You shall be built and I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep be dry and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. 
So how did God use King Cyrus? Again, look at verse 28. Who says of King Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure. Saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. See, God used King Cyrus to help build Jerusalem. And to help lay the foundation to build the, to build the first temple. Remember how I said um, how... God was using King Saul. It wasn't about King Saul or it wasn't about King Saul's reign. God was using King Saul to prepare a future for Israel. This was part of that future. All right. You have a guy like King Cyrus come in years later. After King Saul. He was. A faithless king and yet God uses him to build Jerusalem to build up Jerusalem and to build up the temple and it makes you think that all right seeing as how um King Cyrus was a faithless man. He knew that what he was doing by building Jerusalem, by building on Jerusalem and by laying the foundation to build the temple. All right. He knew what he was doing was important. But he didn't know that he was being led by God. He didn't know that he was doing God's work. Okay. So. I don't think that he really knew how important. It was how important it was. What he was doing. I don't think he realized exactly what he was doing and how important it was. All right, because God was leading him the whole time and he didn't even realize it because he was faithless. He did not believe in God. Now, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I'm going to read verses 22 through 23. Second Chronicles chapter 36. It is the last chapter in the book of Second Chronicles, which is right before the first chapter of the book of Ezra, which I'm going to read from next. Second Chronicles chapter 36. I'm going to be reading from verses 22 through 23 all right and we're going to be talking about other verses that talk about God using King Cyrus okay
Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in, excuse me, and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord, his God, be with him and let him go up. Now, I want you to look particularly at the second half of verse 22 that I had just read. Second Chronicles chapter 36, the second half of verse 22. How God used King Cyrus. All right. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says king of Persia. I'm going to stop right there. See, King Cyrus, he never planned He never planned on building him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, as the word says, as, as the Bible says, excuse me. All right. Never planned on it. It wasn't really a thing to him. All right. At the time, he didn't really see it as important. Okay. He didn't really see it as a part, he didn't really see it as um, a part of his reign, an important part of his reign. He never planned on doing it. Okay? However, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus to where he started thinking about this. And it started going on in his spirit into where that idea, into where he felt that he had to make a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. He's talking about his temple. He's talking about the temple. All right. He never planned on building the temple. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing to him. All right. King Cyrus, he, he wasn't faithful. All right. 
Temple, that wasn't that wasn't really important to him. He, you know, but God put it in his heart and in his spirit, and he began to think about this. And it event he eventually started thinking about this. And had eventually made a proclamation all throughout his kingdom. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read from the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Book of Ezra, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who are around him encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that has willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins, and a similar kind and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. All right, now I want you to look particularly at verse 7, okay? King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with how God used King Cyrus? All right, well, look at it. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. Only the king would have been able to bring out all the vessels and all the articles and all the other things that was put away by the previous king. All right. None of the people would have been able to do it. None of um, the servants would have been able to do it without the king say so. All right. And these were all things that were taken from Israel. And these were things that were going to be put in the temple. Now, in order for them to be put in the temple, the only way to get them 
was through King Cyrus. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, um, we don't have a lot of time left. So this is probably going to be a two-part episode. All right. But I want to try and finish this. Um, talking about this last verse that I want to um, discuss about how God um, used King Cyrus. All right. Turn with me to the book of Ezra, chapter six. I'm going to read um, verses four through five. All right. Ezra chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius. <laughs> you know what? I'm so sorry. I had read from the wrong chapter. I had read from the wrong chapter. All right, <laughs> Ezra chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. I thought something was a little off, okay? Ezra chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. With three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber, let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury. Also let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place and deposit them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river and Shether Baznai and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. Now, I don't want to get, I'm not going to get too much into that one because basically that was um, very similar to what I just read in Ezra um, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. All right. Um, it's basically the same thing that's going on. Um. And very similar to it. So, but I wanted to read that to you. All right. So, as I said, this is going to be a two-part episode. So right now I'm going to close right here. All right, and just stay with me for part two. Thank you.